We are one week closer to Christmas, and you know what that means? Stress. That's right. Stress is on the rise in most people's lives. Well, this week in our Advent series, Myron is talking about how to get rid of that stress and receive peace instead. I know it might seem like something that is out of reach for you right now, but after listening to today's message, you'll realize it's not. Let's listen prayerfully as Myron brings this week's message. Well, good morning. I do have to apologize. I have three kids and it's winter, so I feel like I'm sick all the time. But if I cough, I'm sorry. I got a cough drop in. I'll do my best. I'm feeling better, though. But we're in this series of Advent, and uh, Advent really uh, just means the uh, celebration of the arrival of a notable person or event. And as we know, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus, and every year we prepare our hearts and our minds to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And that's what Advent is, is a celebration of the arrival, the arrival of the most notable person in the history of the world, Jesus. And we've unpacked two so far, hope and love. And we talked about hope, of how hope is so powerful. There's actually universities who have like wings of their departments called the School of Hope, and they study hope and its benefits and how it impacts people and societies. It's profound, the power of hope. And last week we talked about love and what love looks like and how we are to love God and love others and experience the love of God in in a way in which we've maybe never experienced or can experience it in a real way as we prepare for Christmas. And so today we're coming to the third leg of our Advent series And it's on this topic of peace, peace. And I think that word is a word that we all want. (laughs) We all want peace. We all want to just have this calmness, this, this just settledness. It's just, I'm at peace with life and the world. We all want peace. Even Miss America wants peace, you know? Like when asked about what problem would she solve, she goes, oh, world peace. And like, She desires it. We all desire world peace. But I think what we desire more than world peace is peace in our own world. You desire peace in your own world. And so we have this definition, I think, of peace that we intuitively come up in our head and our world says is what peace is. And it's this. It's the absence of all external conflict and internal stress. Peace is the absence of external conflict and internal stress. If I could just not have conflict with my family, with my coworkers, with the world, with the disease, the sickness, the ailments, if I could just not have anything going on in my life, I'd be at peace. And if I didn't have anxiety and worry and fear and depression, all those things on the inside of me either, I would be at peace. We all want peace. We all do in our own world. So how I'm going to look today We're going to look today at how do we find this peace? How do we live in this peace? And what do we do with this peace? Because it says in Isaiah 9, chapters, or Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, it says this For to us a child is born, (coughs) to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
As we prepare for Christmas, going through Advent, we see the title of the Messiah, the Savior of the world, uh, prophesied thousands of years before he would ever show up as the Prince of Peace. And if he's the Prince of Peace, why in the heck is the world so jacked up? Why is my world so jacked up? If he's claiming to be that, and I believe in him and follow him, why are it, where is the peace? Where is this Prince of Peace when the world is so jacked up? Because if you look around the world, there's war in Gaza between the terrorist group Hamas and Israel, God's nation, God's people. There's a conflict in Russia and Ukraine that's been going on for longer than a year. Inflation, gas prices, and grocery stores trips are more expensive than ever, crippling anybody who's middle income and below. The COVID pandemic we're on the curtails of and the vaccine controversy that's still being perpetuated, the fragile economy that's it's gonna fall at any moment, we feel like. Democrats and Republicans hate each other more now than ever, it seems like. Our school system indoctrinating our kids in ways in which we never dreamed they would be teaching these things in our schools. We got conflict with our kids because of the cell phones and uh, the internet and social media. Conflict with our parents because of stubbornness and pride. There's conflict in my family. There's conflict in my health with the diagnosis and the ailments. The list can go on and on and on. And if there is a Prince of Peace, why is the world so jacked up? Why is my world so jacked up? We desire to have true peace. But the reality is, is the peace that we want of no external conflict and no internal stress, it's not achievable. In this life, in this world, on planet Earth, we will never avoid these things. So we have to redefine what peace looks like. And in spite of the conflict, in spite of the stress, in spite of the diagnosis, in spite of the trauma and pain that we experience, we can walk with peace, with the peace of God. Because we just want to have a, we want an akuna matata mindset, don't we? Lion King, right? Akuna matata, what a wonderful phrase. It means no worries. It's a carefree philosophy. That's what we want, right? I'm good with the world and life. I'm at peace, akuna matata. And then we think that the problems that we have can be solved with more money. If I just had more money, I would have more security. So therefore I would be at peace. But you know, that's not true. It's a lie that we've bought. You'll never be at peace, even with more money and security. Or you might think time will heal all wounds, right? Time will fix it all. I will have peace if I just wait a little bit longer. But if you've lived life long enough, you realize that doesn't cause peace in your life. And then maybe you're like me to where I just pretend it's not a big deal. <laughs> like, I just try to forget about it. Like, if I just forget about it, it's not real. And therefore, it's gone from my mind. I'll have peace. But again, if you've lived life... You know, the forgetting about things doesn't work. It always seems to come back and undermine the peace that you want. The kind of peace that we want, that we've defined as no external conflict, internal stress, is impossible. And here's why it's impossible. Because of sin. Sin makes it impossible to avoid conflict and stress and pain and hurt and suffering in this life. You see, because sin is doing anything outside of God's will. It's acting, thinking, saying, or doing anything that's not in line with God's design. 
And sin has been plaguing all of humanity since the very first human beings. And since then, sin entered into the world and all brokenness, chaos, evil, corruption, wickedness, the list goes on and on, exists in our world and therefore undermines the peace that we want, the Prince of Peace that, that we can have and experience. Sin undermines all of that because sin has separated us from God. And no one is exempt from this. You don't get a free pass on sin. And that's why you don't get the peace that you've defined as no external conflict or internal stress. Everything evil in our world is a byproduct of sin. Every war, every disease, all death, murder, conflict, anger, lust, pride, greed, sense of entitlement, anxiety, depression, worry, fear, all of that is a byproduct of sin. Sin steals our peace. And so what do we do with this? Right? If it's causing all of the problems in the first place, what do we do with it? This is where the Prince of Peace comes in. He was, he was uh, uh, prophesied about thousands of years before he ever showed up, saying, I'm going to uh, uh, save my people from their sins. You can be saved from all things in this life, all sin, all evil, all wickedness. And you can begin to experience the peace of God, not an earthly peace that you desire, but a heavenly peace that your soul longs for. Peace is not the absence of conflict, trouble, pain, hurt, and disease, and evil. But heavenly peace is this, knowing that God's in control, and despite of what I navigate or what I have to go through, I'm good. I'm okay. God, I trust you. And when I say that I'm okay, it doesn't mean that things are okay. They're not okay, and that's fine. It's okay to not be okay. But you can look at God in his sovereignty and know that the Prince of Peace, who holds all of time in his hands, who holds your life in your hands, and knows everything that you're experiencing, and has something good for you, that's his promise, there's something good for you, despite what you navigate and experience, you can go, God's in control, I trust him, and I'm okay. That's the peace that you want. So my first point is this, have peace with God. If you want to have peace in this life, you got to start with peace with God because there's an order here. If you want earthly peace among your friends and your family and the world and, and everything that exists in this life, you got to get right with God first. You can't expect to have peace in this life until you have peace with God. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is if you've never experienced the peace of God by making a decision by faith to put your hope and your trust and your belief in Jesus, that's where you start to begin to experience the peace of God is to have peace with God. Because Romans 3.23 says, we all sin and we all fall short. We got sin in our life. No one is exempt from this. And I love what James 4.4 says. Do you not know that the, uh, the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend with the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's a sinful desire inside of all of us. Even after you make the decision to follow Jesus, because you know he died on the cross for your sins, and he rose from the dead three days later, proving he was God, and you believe in that, you are still human. You still have your flesh. And there's a desire for us to love the things of this flesh. It's fun to love things of the world, isn't it? Man, money's fun. Pleasure feels good. Being popular feels good. Having, having social like, um, you know, interactions is fun, and we desire that. And, and, and our identity and who we are is fun to try to achieve, to become somebody. It's fun. And that's the dangerous part of it all, because it'll undermine your peace. 
So if you love the things of this world, you become an enemy to God. And there's a desire in us to love the things of this world. And then we go, no, but I love God, but I love this thing in the world, but I love God. And there's a battle that's going on that you have to battle every single day to keep your eyes focused on God so you can experience the peace of God. So would you make the decision once and for all to deal with your sin, confess it, repent of it, put your faith in Jesus to receive the Prince of Peace as your Lord and Savior? And then once you do that, I want you to think about John 6, 13. It says this will be on the screen. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He's promising, I'm not removing external conflict. I'm not removing the stress of this life. But here's the promise. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Take heart. So you have peace. I've taught you all these things. I've told you all these things. He's telling his disciples. He's been teaching his disciples. And he's now teaching us because he's preserved the word of God. Whatever he says is true. Whatever he's calling us to is the best way to live this life. I'm not going to remove all the pain and hurt and trouble and suffering in this life. But you can have peace. Take heart. I've overcome the world. He's already won the battle. And peace is available to you if you want to make that decision. But like I said, there's a fleshly battle happening. So once you receive the peace of God, once you get in the right order of having peace with God so you can have peace with the world, my second point is this, live in the peace of God. Myron, how do you you live in the peace of God? I received it, I believe it, I accept it, but man, things just are not good in my life. I think there's some some help we can get from the Bible of how to live in the peace (coughs) of, of God. It says this in Philippians 4. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, here it is, here's the promise. I love this. Hold on to this, this holiday season. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace of God available to you that you can walk in every day that looks crazy to the world. It might seem unattainable to you because it doesn't quite match up with the the, the logic and the rationality that we have as human brains. It transcends all understanding, all human understanding. And here's the antidote to this. The antidote to, we got the antidote to anxiety right here in this verse. Now, I'm not belittling anxiety. I'm not saying it's as simple as this, and we're going to get through this some more, more in-depth steps of how to deal with anxiety or fear or worry or just obsessing and, 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 and just not at peace with life. But here's like one thing that we need to do. Here's our default response when there's not peace in our life. You pray. You take it to God. You petition, you make a request to God, you pray to God. The Apostle Paul wrote this. The Apostle Paul would also go on to say, pray without ceasing. And I know he's not saying it's impossible to literally pray all day, every day, unless you're a monk in the Himalayan mountains. Like, you can't do it. But here's what I think Paul is saying. Keep your mind set on things above. In all things, in every situation, every meeting, every work trip, every encounter, every opportunity, every struggle, every doctor's appointment, everything in your life, Keep your mind focused on God. Keep your mind focused on what he says is true. Keep him as the focal point of your life and anxiety will will diminish. You'll begin to surrender the control that you so desperately want in your life and give it to the God who has all control and know that he's got something good in store for you. 
I liken it this way. This advice here is like uh, going to a physician that you got referred to. And then this physician that you got referred to for your ailment is the best physician in the entire world. Best track record, best history. Every single patient's gotten cured. And you get lucky enough to get invited to have an appointment with this physician. And then you sit down, you talk to the physician, you tell him all the ailments and everything's going on with you. And it's a long conversation. And finally, the physician looks at you and says, I got your treatment. Just drink more water. And you're like, seriously? (laughs) There's no pill, no surgery. Like, no, just drink more water. So you leave the appointment, you go to your daily life, and it's only on you if you don't get well. Because in in our world, we have access to clean drinking water at every moment of every day, don't we? No matter where you are in this country, you can say, I need water. You could go get water to drink that's safe. And I think the Apostle Paul is highlighting like, hey, the remedy to anxiety and fear and worry, insecurity, and all the stress internally, man, if you would just take to God in prayer immediately, it'd be like drinking water for your sickness because you have access to the Father through prayer all day, every day. And so would you take him up on this offer? Would you take God up on the offer? And would you be disciplined and determined enough no matter what comes your way and what you experience? You'd go to him first in prayer. And you'd surrender the control that you so desperately want and give the control to the one who has control and hold on and trust him to know that he has peace for you if you'll just trust him. If you'll relinquish it to him, you can have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. And you know when you experience this kind of peace, people might look at you and go, you're so naive. You're so disconnected from reality. How are you okay? How are you not mad at them? How are you not frustrated with the political climate? How are you not upset about your cancer diagnosis? You look like unattached from reality. And so people might call you foolish, like you're just naive and uneducated. But then some people will look at you with that peace and go, man, I want that so desperately. It doesn't make sense to us, but we have an antidote right here. It's called prayer, constantly, without ceasing, keeping your mind on things, and your heart and your mind will be protected in Christ Jesus. Apostle Paul also says in 2 Corinthians, take every thought captive. You're in control of your thoughts. Your thoughts are not in control of you. We've got this backwards. We have a victim mentality in our world with anxiety of like, it's just the way that I am. I can't help the way that I think. I can't help the way that I perceive the world. Yes, you can. You're in control of your thoughts. They don't control you. And would you take him to the Lord in prayer immediately, immediately to help? He wants to carry that burden with you. Now, just like any other predisposition we have to sin, it may not immediately be gone. Some of us are walk with anxiety, maybe for the rest of our life. It'll be the thorn in your side, but you can have a remedy to it and walk with the Savior, the Prince of Peace, every single day if you just pray when those thoughts come. Because the peace that you want is transcendent peace, not earthly peace. You want the peace that surpasses all understanding, and it's only found in Jesus through prayer. Would you do that? Now, it's not just prayer. <coughs> the Apostle Paul goes on in the next verses, verses 8 and 9, he says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, another promise here, will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. He'll walk with you. The Apostle Paul was doing Psychology 101 before psychology ever discovered this. He's, he, he's doing thought substitution, right? When you're overwhelmed, you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm so anxious about this the decision or this life crisis or my kids, like I'm so worried and freaking out. The Apostle Paul says, well, think about what's, what's true. Not what's hypothetical, not the, not the extraneous crazy. <laughs> think about what is real, what is true, what is noble, what is honorable, what is lovely. So it's taking the lies and the deceptions and the exaggerated and coming back to a thought substitution of what is real, what is right, what is noble, what is pure, what is lovely. And he's helping us protect our minds. Because here's the truth. You gravitate in the direction of your strongest thoughts. You start to believe what you think. And so if you're constantly thinking you have cancer, you're going to believe that you have cancer. If you constantly think that your child is going to get into a horrific accident, you're going to believe that every time they get into an automobile, they're going to have a horrific accident. Whatever you think, whatever you dwell on, man, will become what you believe. And then everything that happens in your life will come back to that root of, well, it's because of this. Well, it's because of this. It's because of this. It's thought substitution. Psychologists and and, and psychiatrists and counselors would give you this advice. Here's a free counseling advice to you. If you're having a panic attack or you're overwhelmed and you're stressed and worried and anxious, they would say, take a bunch of deep breaths, then find five things in the room that are red and say them. Four things that are red or blue and then yellow and go down the list, right? It's, 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 it's getting rid of the exaggerated and the thought train that's put you on a, on a roadmap that's not going to lead you to any healthy place and get back to what is absolutely true. Those are red. Those are blue. Come back to what is true and what is real and what is tangible. The Apostle Paul's doing this. He's saying there are so many narratives and horrific tragedies and pains that catch the headlines of every news station all the time. You gravitate in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And when you watch CNN or you watch Fox News or you watch any news, any media, and they focus on the negativity, the inflation, the economy, the crisis, the illness, the disease, the pandemic, the wars, the list goes on. Those are the headlines. And you think about those things. You input that into your brain constantly. You begin to believe that that is all reality. And it's not. And it robs you of the peace of God. Here's what I think the world would say. Philippians 4, 8 through 9 would be. We're going to put it up on the screen on the left side. This is what the world would say. Whatever is uncertain, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is wrong, whatever is corrupted, whatever is disturbing, whatever is shameful, anything that is awful or detestable, think about such things. That's what the world says. If you go through, and I did this, if you go through the news feed on Fox or CNN or any, any news media, these attributes come out in every single story. It's, it, it's, a, it's a murder of four people. It's a mass shooting. It's a conflict. It, it, it's hostages with Hamas. It's, it's another variant of the disease. It's another crisis that's happening in our world. And it constantly is feeding us this. But here's what 
the word of God says. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Substitute what the world says is true about our reality and substitute with what the word of God says is true and noble and lovely and praiseworthy. And that'll help you suppress it, walk with it, deal with it, and not have the peace of God undermined in your life. You gravitate in the direction of your strongest thoughts and what you think you will believe. So the first step is this, receive the peace of God. Receive the peace of God. Deal with your sin, come to him. And then live in the peace of God. Take this advice. Pray like crazy. Do thought substitution. Trust God through it. And here is is the hardest thing to navigate, I think, in our Western American culture. Is we think trusting God and following God means the absence of suffering. And that's not true. If you read the Bible, man, you will see God's people suffered. Even though they were God's people. And a lot of times they suffered because they were God's people, believing in God, and the world hated them because of their belief. In this life, you will have trouble. And so I think our our American culture of the gospel of the church is allergic to suffering. When it happens, we throw our hands and say, God, you can't be good. You can't be real. You can't be with me. I don't want to trust you. But when you become okay with suffering as a follower of Jesus, you'll begin to trust God even more. Because I believe in Romans 8, in Romans 8, 28, it says this, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God is working something good for you in your suffering. In the time when there's not peace in your life, he's going to teach you something. He's going to show you something. He's going to shape you in a way in which you probably couldn't have been shaped any other way. And I know that seems unjust and unfair, but God loves you enough to let you experience hard things so you can be molded into the person that you were supposed to be. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from suffering. It means you can suffer well. And you can have peace in the midst of your suffering. Because you trust God and know that he's got something good for you. And I I know this verse is hard sometimes. Like, I don't see the good, Myron. You might not see the good right now. But hold on, there's something good coming. And it might not be the good you want. It might not be the good you have defined in your head. It'll be the good that you need, that God knows you need. And so would you trust him? Relinquish control, do thought substitution, and hold on. And know that something is good is coming and live in the peace of God. Another practical advice is Romans 8, 5. It'll be on the screen now. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. There's the word again, peace. You gravitate in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Where's your mind? Where's your mind? Is it set on the fleshly desires that you have? What the world says is true? The headlines? Cultural nuances of what's real or is it on the flesh or is it on the spirit of God his truth his word his commands what he calls us to to be set on the flesh is death pain hurt suffering but a mind on the spirit you'll have life to the full and you'll have the peace that surpasses all understanding
So would you receive the peace of God today? And would you live and walk in the peace of God daily? And the final thing is this. Number three is be a peacemaker. Whenever you've received the peace of God and you're actively walking in the peace of God, you become a peacemaker to the world. Be a peacemaker. In Romans 12, it gives us a great outline. I got four things as we finish up of how to be a peacemaker, how to extend the peace that you have experienced. It says this in Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's the roadmap to being a peacemaker. First point is this, humble yourself. Do you realize life's not all about you? Where there is selfishness and conceitedness, there is not peace. Think about it. Those who are selfish, we don't want to be around. We have conflict with those who are so prideful and self-centered and narcissistic, especially because we have a, a degree of that in us. We have pride and ego in all of us. And where that is up front in our life and someone else's life, man, you're buttonheads and there will never be peace between those two people. Never. So step one is humble yourself. Realizing life is not all about you. Your needs are not the highest priority. And as we go into this holiday season, would you put other people before yourself? Would you go to grandma's house even though you don't want to because you're going to honor and respect grandma because she loves just having everybody over at her house? Can you just put aside your family quarrels and differences to come together to be a family for grandma and grandpa? Can we do that? Can we, can we get over ourselves and not be so prideful? Can we put the needs of other people above ourselves? And don't treat people like a mine. What I mean by this is don't just keep drilling to extract something from somebody. Some pleasure, some benefit, some fulfillment. Stop treating people like a mine and extracting something from them from your own personal gain. Humble yourself. Don't be conceited. Don't be proud. Because pride undermines you being a peacemaker. Because where there's pride, man, there's hard to, there's hard, it's hard to have peace where there's pride. James 4, 6, God's, you know, Jesus said, God, or James said, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the word oppose literally means at war. God is at war with pride. I think pride is the original, original sin. Every sin comes back to pride. It's what we want. It's what we want. It's what we feel. It's what we desire. It's what we like. And pride undermines your peace and it robs you of being a peacemaker. But there is grace for you. There's an abundance of grace. James was going to say there is more grace for you if you humble yourself. Point two of being a peacemaker is connect with people. Being a peacemaker means we got to be at peace with other people, so we have to connect with other people. The thing about life is (laughs) life's all about people. 
People are the only thing eternal. Everything else will pass away. They're materialistic and physical, but people are eternal. If we believe the Bible, we believe that all people will spend eternity in heaven or in hell. They're the only thing that lives forever. So they should be the, only, they should be the highest priority in this life. And it says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. That's what it says. So connect with people. Live with unity among each other. In verse 15, it said, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who you need to mourn with. And you can't rejoice with somebody if you don't know what's good in their life. You can't mourn with somebody if you don't know what they're mourning about. So you have to connect with people in a real way to love them, to be connected with them, and to bring peace and to live in harmony with one another as much as it depends on you. And it also says, show no partiality in here. Say, connect with people in low positions. Don't hold like, oh, I'm just going to connect with people like me, who think like me and act like me, and I enjoy being around, and I'm going to mine something from them so I feel better. No, connect with all people. Hold no partiality and no favoritism. Swallow our pride. Don't be conceited. Humble ourselves and connect with people in real ways. Third thing of being a peacemaker is this. Do the right thing. Verse 17, it says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Doing the right thing oftentimes is is intuitive, isn't it? Like there's a gut reaction and like, yep, that's probably what I need to do. Yep, I know what the right thing is to do, but it's going to be hard. It's going to be uncomfortable. I'd rather not. I should say sorry. I know that's the right thing to do. I should say sorry. But pride says it was their fault. But there was some other external circumstance that you're justified in behaving the way that you behaved. Oftentimes, we know the right thing. And so be careful to do the right thing with your family, with your friends, with all people of any status, any interaction that you have, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another and do the right thing in front of everybody. Because it's kind of the golden rule. You know, Luke 6, 31, Jesus said, and as you wish for others to do to you, do so to them. It's where the, it's where the golden rule of treat others how you want to be treated comes from. We, 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 we attribute that to Jesus, but he didn't say it in that way. He said it in this way. As you would want people to do to you, you do it to them. And so if you want someone to do the right thing for you, you go first and do the right thing for them on their behalf. And you will become a peacemaker if you do the right thing. It'll be unpopular. I know. It'll be hard. I know. It'll be uncomfortable. I know. You may look like an idiot. I know. It's okay. But do the right thing. And the fourth thing is this. (coughs) Remember, God already made peace. God's already made peace. Take heart. I've already overcome the world. I am the prince of peace. I've already fought the battle and I've won. Do not seek revenge. Do not repay evil for evil. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You don't have to be angst towards anybody, mad at anybody, want to get revenge on anybody. I've already dealt with all of that, God says. And you can live in the peace knowing that no one gets away with anything. Because here's God's perfect justice system. If you didn't know this, this is how God's justice system is perfect and holy. Every act of evil, wicked, sin, hurt, pain, trauma, corruption, all of it is paid for in two places, on the cross with Jesus' blood or in hell forever and eternity. No one gets away with anything. 
And you don't have to seek out revenge ever. And you can live at peace knowing, God, you got it. You'll handle it. You'll deal with it. The offense, the hurt, the pain. Because either they'll repent of it and it'll be paid for on the cross, just like your sin was paid for on the cross, or they won't and God's wrath will be justified in hell. And we don't have to seek it out. What a relief that is. Like we can just live in the peace and knowing that God is God. He's already made peace on my behalf and on behalf of the world. And I don't have to seek out revenge. And so would you receive the peace today? Would you live in the peace today? And as a peacemaker, would you share the peace today in this holiday season? Because if there is ever a time in history, at least of my existence, it seems like peace is needed more now than ever. And we need peacemakers. We need the people of God to be peacemakers more now than ever. Because of the evil, the corruption, the wickedness, the sin that exists in our world, somebody's got to help fight that. Somebody's got to overcome evil with good. Because every marriage needs peace. And if your marriage doesn't have peace, would you get right with God? Have peace with God so that you can have peace with your spouse. Every family needs peace. And so would you get right with God so you can live at peace with your family? Every parent and child relationship, every workplace that's struggling in this economy needs peace. It's tense, isn't it? Every supermarket needs peacemakers this holiday season. Every social media platform needs voices of peacemakers this holiday season and in this current culture climate. We need to be the peace of God. And I know that you want peace in your finances. I know you want peace in your marriage, peace in your home, peace at work. And you got to realize that the peace that you want is not the absence of suffering, external conflict, and internal stress. That's never going away. But the transcendent peace that you want in all of these areas is only possible by the Prince of Peace, by Jesus. He's already paid for it all. He's already won the battle. And you can receive it, and you can live in it, and you can be the peace. He doesn't count your sin against you. He's given you an opportunity to be, re, to, to, to be made new, to be reborn. The old is gone, the new has come. And I want you to know that once you make that decision, nothing will separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the peace of God. If you live in it, practically fight it. There's this song, Silent Night, that we sing, and we're going to sing it here in a moment. There's a line that says, sleeping in heavenly peace. And I know it's probably talking about baby Jesus in the manger. Like he's sleeping, he's an infant, he's sleeping in heavenly peace. But I have a hunch about some of us, and maybe most of us. It would be nice to sleep at night with peace, wouldn't it? A heavenly peace of knowing that, God, you got me. God, you got tomorrow. You got the diagnosis. You got the outcome. You got the relationship. You got it. You got it. You got my finances. I can sleep for six to eight hours uninterrupted. That's a desire that I think most of us have. And it's possible for you. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. <coughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. You can sleep at peace at night. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. 
You can go to bed and say, I know tomorrow's going to suck, but I'll deal with tomorrow's suckiness tomorrow. It's okay. God, you got the bigger picture of my life. I want your peace. I'm going to fight and walk in your peace. I'm going to fight my flesh every single day. I'm going to sleep tonight. We'll deal with it tomorrow, God, together. Sleep in heavenly peace. It's possible. Transcendent peace is possible. You see, the antidote to worry that Jesus was unpacking in Matthew 6 is seek first the kingdom of God. He was saying, hey, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you'll drink. He's talking about an aggregarian society of like their needs. And he would say to us today, whatever you need, trust me. Go to sleep. Don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me. Seek first my kingdom and I'll take care of you. Not to the way in which you want to be taken care of, not your definition of good, but he'll work it out for your good. What you need, he knows. And would you trust him? Would you receive the peace, the true peace? And I think about two people as we close of the Christmas story that we could model and emulate. It's Mary and Joseph. Think about Mary's story for a second with me. Teenage, 16 years old roughly, but a young teenage girl gets a visit from God through an angel and the angel says, hey, Mary, you're gonna become pregnant. Even though you're a virgin, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. You're gonna become pregnant and you're gonna have a son. You're gonna call his name Jesus. He's gonna save his people from their sins. Mary, thinking big picture going, okay, I'm supposed to be married to Joseph. I become pregnant. Joseph, I haven't had sex. I'm gonna be adulterer. I can get stoned to death. This is gonna cause so much complication in the family. Talk about drama in the city because of this Oh, you got pregnant by God. Okay. And you know what Mary's response to this claim was? Everything that you said to me, angel, let it be done to me. I receive the will of God, his purpose for my life. Even though it's going to bring all kind of gossip and rumors and hardships and speculation, it's going to be super difficult to explain, but I trust you, God, and I'll do it. And then Joseph, he gets a visit from an angel and says, hey, Mary, she's telling the truth, bro. She's not pregnant by someone else. She's pregnant by the Holy Spirit, carrying God's child, the savior of the world. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. Walk with Mary through this pregnancy and this journey of bringing my son into the world. And Joseph, thinking about the whole situation as well, goes, I'll do it, God. I'll do it. And so my my call to you this holiday season Whatever God's asking you to do, whatever he's allowing you to go through, whatever you've experienced, it's not wasted. And would you adopt the mindset of Mary and Joseph as examples? Whatever you want, God, I'll do. Whatever you say, I'll do. That's where peace comes. The true peace, the transcendent peace that you so long and desire for can be attainable for you. So Father, I pray in this season that we would receive your peace in a new way. We would experience you, we'd be comforted by you, and the Prince of Peace would be the king of our life. We'd set our mind on the things of the spirit, not of this world. We'd keep our eyes focused on things above and not things on this earth. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding would be attainable to us, and we would walk with that peace every single day. Help us to fight anxiety. Help us to do thought substitution. Help us to not worry 
and know that you are in control. You are sovereign. You got a plan. You're working all things for our good. If we love you and we are called according to your purpose, so let your purpose and your will be done in our life. Help us to receive it and love you every single day to walk with the peace of God. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.